Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Episode 26. Guys, last time I, uh, when we dropped, when we, we recorded 25, I talked about how wonderful it was that we made it a quarter of a century of episodes into this podcast. And with episode 26, we are going to do something we've yet to do, and we think you are in for a fantastic treat. Now, let me give you the, the, the lead up to this. Let me lead into this in a way that you can follow with full context. So as you guys know, Andy has a sheet or sheets full of information for every episode, notes that he wants to share. I would share. call it a book. He has a book full of information with, uh, with notes that he wants to share every episode. Last episode, we didn't quite get through them all or even through half of them. And so we decided we would continue and come back with another episode built around the importance of fun related to youth soccer development. Specifically though, before every episode, Philippe can confirm, Andy sends us a text. And in this text, he includes some of the exciting things that he wants to make sure, it's all his notes, the stuff that he wants to make sure we cover and talk about. Well, Andy sends this a few nights ago. I go through and start reading it to plan out you know, my thought process for how I'm going to tack this podcast. And in it, he includes a tweet. A tweet that he read on Twitter, um, and this tweet, tweet he criticized. He's not happy with it. He's eager to talk about his criticism of this specific tweet, and I am rolling on the floor laughing. Why am I rolling on the floor laughing? Because it's my tweet. I tweeted <laughs> an opinion, and he totally disagrees with my opinion, and he's ready to attack it. The best part is in Andy's old age, he had no idea it was my tweet <laughs> that he was criticizing. So today, you're probably going to hear Philippe giggle the whole time, and Andy and I just argue about this one specific tweet and why I'm right and he's wrong. Well, you know, I've lost a lot of respect for you over making a tweet that's so idiot. <laughs> Let me read the tweet. Um, it's It was tweeted by soccer coach, S-O-C-K-E-R coach. Um, I've mentioned this before, and I realize it's part of the game and teams have to deal with it. But if you play 7v7 and shoot from kickoff every time, I don't respect you. And I share that opinion. I don't respect those coaches. Apparently, Andy thinks we should shoot from kickoff every time. Well, you know, let me expand on that for a change. Please do. <laughs> One of the, you know, uh, well-worn and somewhat hackneyed sayings in life is, well begun is half done, right? And my opinion is we should start every single game with the biggest of all plays and strive to play big through every moment of the contest. And correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, we're talking about maybe a 40-yard shot here from kickoff. And, you know, these are young kids. And for no other reason to build their, you know, their willingness to take risks and attempt a big play and go for it, you know, even if they're downtown Charlie Brown, I think that we should take that opportunity to start the game with the biggest of all plays, which is a long-distance shot. It's more important than moves, and we love moves, you know, but the willingness to go for it and make something 
outlandish, you know, strange, you know, maybe seemingly impossible to the opposition, make that happen. I think that's incredibly important. And I think that's at the crux of our disagreement, as you just mentioned, perhaps or more important than moves. And I think that is the difference because I am of the opinion and I think it's why my teams are more skillful than than other coach teams in our club. Um, generally speaking, there are probably exceptions to that, but it's because I prioritize skill over shooting in those younger developmental age, age I I am with Andy on that side. I think shooting is the most important part of the game. My dad always told me there are many soccer players that are average soccer players but they can hit the ball and they can score from anywhere and these guys make a ton of money like it's the it's the the cherry on top of the cake it's shooting and putting the ball in the back of the net if you can score consistently from really really far i mean everybody's going to be looking at you and i i get that but i also think that the kickoff shooting all the time so what would be the difference if all your players, every time they get a ball in the back third and they beat somebody, they get to half, boom, shoot? So is that the same? You have the same Oh, I perception? do that in open play. I, I believe that, you know, you shoot whenever you want to shoot because, you know, it may not even make it to the goal. But, you know, it brings forward the point at which the player that shot can make it to the goal and can be dangerous from a scoring perspective. You know, and so, you know, you have to work through failure in order to get success. You know, and but how can you fail in deceptive dribbling if every time you get the ball, you put your foot through it and try to kick it as far as you can? Well, that's never been the case. So, but, but that's what a kickoff is. You know, you, now, in theory, you know, that, you know, but the kickoff is where there are you know, opponents 10 yards away. So you know, you're in a situation where you have a free shot. You know, but it's still the bravest thing you can do is take a shot because, you know, if you don't hit it powerfully enough and it rolls up to the keeper and he has to walk out to pick it up, you're going to look like a bit of a fool. But we've got to get kids into the mode of I'm going to have a go. So you I, think, but so you think I'm going to use JC Heckler as an example because she had a go from 9v9 kickoff just smashing into the top corner. And she also has one that their, her teammate rolls to her and she gets the ball and she beats... 11 people and scores a goal. I, f I feel like the second one is way more brave than Agreed. The, the first well, one. It's, it's got both components, of course. But, you know, that's probably, you know, one out of 100 tries or one out of 1,000 tries where you can beat everybody and score a goal. So, you know, you, you've got the single greatest, bravest play is to shoot. The second single greatest, bravest play is to dribble. dribble. And, but if you can dribble and shoot and score a goal then fine, you know, but you know, you've got to have a go. You can't put any restrictions on shooting, is my point, I, I because that's the game-winning skill. No, you know? I agree with you. I'd, I would never tell my players, you know, you cannot shoot from the kickoff or stuff like that. But, I mean, I wouldn't be telling them, oh, every time I got a kickoff or every time I got a free kick from way behind, let's just, you know, I want them to learn m m other parts of the game, okay? Get the ball. Well, hold on a Take second. people on. Take people on. If you want them to learn other parts of the game, you've got to shoot whenever you can because it's such a rare opportunity. So if you're learning other parts of the game, you have way more opportunity in the game to dribble than you ever will to shoot. There's a massive imbalance there to start with because you might get the ball in your own penalty area. You can dribble out of your own penalty area. And so there's places on the field where shooting is not going to happen. It's so unrealistic. Yeah, but we train indoors and we use the box soccer court, so we take that away. 
in our with our coaching philosophy. But I'm talking in the game here. We're talking about from the kickoff. We're talking about game, and game is different from training. But I, I but, do you know, think I do think takes more guts to take somebody on than it's to shoot a ball and go. I think the center back dribbling out of the back is way more gutsy and brave than swinging your foot through a ball like with the exact same technique you would a goal kick. How many toward how, the goal? You but, are, but you, the point is that shooting happens so rarely. All right, that when you get a chance, that's something you've got to take. And I'm not, you know, it, it's not whether or not, you know, the centre-back dribbling out of the back and shooting eventually is more brave. Well, I'm sure it is. But you have the chance to use moves and dribble, you know, probably 50 times more than you have the chance to shoot. Well, I'm, ch- I'm challenging the statement you made a few minutes ago where you said the most brave thing you can do is shoot. And I'm saying that I don't think that's the most brave you, thing. You and I don't even think it's close. As a single technical action, it is. You know, but you're talking about dribbling up the field and then taking a shot at the end of it, going 60, 70 yards. Or being the last man but, back and do, do but, a Maradona turn sh- on rushing forward. That's but, more brave than, than, than taking a shot. The, 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 the risk is way higher if you're There's a no defender. risk. No. There's no risk in shooting from kickoff. None. Yeah, you're going to give up a goal kick or a ball in the keeper's hand. That's what I'm saying. If you're the center back. To the kid, there's the greatest risk. It's failure. No, because everybody cheers them on. What, do, what does everybody do when it happens? Well, they go crazy. There's like, no, oh, that was so awesome. The, consequ- the consequence is the other team has a goal kick or their keeper has a ball to either punt or play short all the way back there. If a center back is doing a Maradona turn inside his own box and beating somebody, the risk is he lose the ball. Nine out of ten times is going to be and a goal. A, a That's s- a, not just a failure, but it's a failure with a consequence but but the consequence is actually exacerbated because in a 7v7 or a 9v9 or 11v11 game in a youth soccer game if the center back does that everybody yells don't try that there clear it out they're they're like the response is not one of celebration if you take a shot of a kickoff the response is one of celebration generally speaking so the risk is higher for the center back and like you watch professional soccer you when the t- oh, when God, the professional players have an opportunity to shoot, they usually shoot. How many times they get a ball one v one? Especially if you watch the MLS, they got a ball one v one on the wing. What do they do? They play backwards because they're not brave enough, even that, that professional level, to take somebody on. But if they get a ball with space to shoot, they all shoot. So I feel like it takes more guys. Kids to take don't all on. shoot. Kids kids need to be encouraged to you know be brave enough to shoot. There's lots of kids that are too scared because they know they don't have the foot. You know, and you've got to take away the fear. And what what you're talking about is actually not taking away the fear. It's you know, it's giving up a shooting opportunity, and it's the wrong emphasis. The most important skill of the game is goal scoring. I'm going to read this. With, I agree with you. Why not set the scene for the biggest possible adventure to occur and encourage bravery from the very first second, the very first touch? Life is short enough as it, as it is. Why not live every second as if it's your last and a very precious moment in the very last day of your life. So when you have the chance to shoot, shoot. Okay, so that's great. That's that's great to segue into our next argument on this front. And this is okay. one that I've had with numerous coaches in the club, of which I, I believe I am in the giant minority. Um, and so um, moving in that direction. So to give the audience some context, if you haven't been onto our YouTube channel or, or, or various ways to see some of the images or videos of our facility, you should. The um, middle field, the red fields, they're 18 feet wide and 36 feet long. And generally speaking, it's 8 to 12-year-olds that train on them. Uh, no, that's not right. 18 it's by 36. 58, it's 58 58 by 26. 58 by 26. Thank you. Um, um, and generally speaking, it's the 8 to 12-year-olds that train on these red fields. 
And our 4v4 league, of which is like the foundation of play for every single player in our club, and all of those players between 8 and 12 are playing on these red fields. And I have played, I don't know, thousands of, coached thousands of games on this field against dozens and dozens of Legends coaches. And I am in the minority when I tell my players that they have to do a skill before they can shoot. Always always have to do a skill before they can shoot in every scenario, specifically in this developmental skill acquisition phase. And the reason for my perspective there is that if I allow an eight or a nine-year-old to shoot as soon as they get the ball, then they won't do enough skill, right? So like it's, it's the old saying of like, you know, when you're coaching a game and you put your tactics I together, with I know, I know you do. Let me finish out. I, and then I, I've, I've way had, more opportunity. That's not a shooting opportunity. He, to do the skills. He, hear me out. Let me, let me, Paint the picture, and then I'm going to give you all the time you need, which will be hours probably. Um, is that is that when you do something? What are you laughing at when you do bloody, when you do something? <laughs> when you do something, you are taking away from something else, right? Like it's the old saying from a tactical perspective: if you cover your head with the blanket, your feet are exposed. If you cover your feet, your head is head is exposed. And so, um, get a bigger blanket. Get a bigger blanket. So, what happens if you've got both an ugly head and ugly feet? <laughs> Hopefully you have an understanding wife. <laughs> <laughs> so on, on the red field, in my experience coaching against these other teams, of which these other teams we continue to play on, and I would put my team up in terms of player for player, significantly more skillful. The ability to create space off of the dribble is significantly higher for, for my teams um, that have gone through this, 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 this red field experience versus the other teams. And the reason for it is because so many of the other, the other kids are – cheered for when they get the ball with almost no thought knowing the goal is on the other side of the field and swinging their foot through it it turns the game from a game that's played on the floor to a game that's played in the air largely it's a game that's played celebrating power and intensity as opposed to finesse and skill and I think finesse and skill is the more difficult skill to acquire and so if we prioritize it first now my players who have skill coming out the ears are always told shoot first, always told shoot first. But it's not until they develop that confidence and the ability to beat somebody off of the dribble that they allow that to happen. Now, Andy, I know you disagree. Well, you're the living embodiment of why it should not happen that way. Because, because I couldn't shoot. <laughs> you know, if, hey, if, if I had... Andy, I agree with you 100% if, you know, now. If I had encouraged you know, my players not to take every opportunity to shoot, you would never have scored a goal. You know, and it was only because I encouraged you to shoot whenever you had the ball and the chance to shoot that you scored any goals. But you know, your accuracy was terrible. You know, you're, you know, so my you know, ball striking was good. I could hit a ball clean. Even with me <laughs> emphasizing the shooting to a far greater degree, you were great with your moves. You know, but you couldn't score. You know, to save your mother's life. And 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 and, and you know what? I don't. I mean, obviously, there's some nature involved in that in terms of my inability to score. Self denial is involved in this. <laughs> but um, I th I think I think not everybody has the finisher finisher. Um, um, not everybody's as... Uh, You're going to say mentality, in, weren't you? Yeah, but like, I think everybody... How do you uh, learn it? 
How do you learn it and they should prepare to go for it? And shooting is the rare diamond. The opportunity to shoot is the rarest opportunity in the game because you don't get close enough very often to do it. So take every opportunity you can to be a Lewandowski, you know, to be a Haaland. <laughs> there's, you, know, you know, there's just no way you're right about this. You, ta- you taught me it best. There's no greater unequal than the equal treatment of unequals. And Ryan Kaufman on our team was innately, without training, a better That's finisher. Wrong. His mum and dad bought a kickback, installed it in the backyard, and he spent thousands of hours hitting the ball against the kickback. The homeboy, I, homeboy had a kickback he was, too. He was the, po- <laughs> <laughs> he he was the poster child. You, did you not realize this? He was the poster child for kickback. Yeah, 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 he was the one they used in the their model. adverts. He, he was, was the model. model. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, you know, and well, how is he, Andrew going to be the model with that face he has? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> yeah, well, you haven't seen Ryan then. <laughs> he does listen to this podcast from time to time. I have to peer around my nose, so I'm you know I'm not saying anything. I'm just keeping quiet on this. <laughs> it's but here's the what's interesting too for you guys listening. If you ever hear Andy and I just go off, and there's a couple of there's a few isolated areas we vehemently disagree. This being one of them, um, is that I am the. I, I am more closely aligned with Andy from a coaching perspective to, to him 25, 30 years ago when he coached me, to him now, right? And so I'm closer to the old him than he is to the old him. Um, and I remember having a common in the, in the beginning phases of play, right? And for us, in the 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 phases, it was common for us to have to do a skill before we could score. You didn't start layering in one touch, two touch, or a fake and move within two, allowing us to shoot without a skill, from my memory, um, until we were a little bit older, until we had intuitive skill coming out of our ears. And then you allowed us to look at the game differently other than skill first. I, I don't remember ever putting a skill, a move, before a shot, ever, in my whole career. You yeah. know, and, and it's just not something, you know, that's... It's kind of saying that, you know, I'm, I'm a Catholic. It's, you know, it's never going to happen. Never did happen. And, and I believe never will happen. And so maybe that's you why know? I'm so skillful, because I artificially impose that condition on myself. <laughs> Which is why you couldn't score. You know, I mean, you're the- but I made for a fantastic outside back overlapping outside back. That, that was that was my home. That was my home. And you'd have to score from that position. You made for a fantastic comedian. As a player. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so those of you listening, you've got Andy's perspective, which is always in kids encourage kids to shoot first. And you have my perspective, which is saying that if you do that, your kids will be less skillful. Um, and I think uh, uh, the more difficult thing or the more important skill is is for kids to learn is the ability to beat players off, off the dribble. So. so, you know, you and I have had a crack at each other, you know, but this Yahoo over here has escaped any criticism up until now. And, <laughs> and uh, you Listen know, to Andy hosting the show. You can make a good podcast host. I, I, don't I do it every week? You know, it's, you know, no, I host, well, and at the end for? I just give up and let you read what you need to read. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm not going to let Philippe, you know, escape abuse, you know, because... Um, you know, it, what I've realized more and more as this podcast has gone on is, is just how patronizing his, his love and his passion for the Brazilian game is and, and comes across, you know, to us you know, lesser mortals coming from the USA and, and England, these, these backwoods of, of soccer countries. And, and how he constantly reminds us of the superiority of Brazil's soccer culture. And, you know, we're talking about passion, right? as the topic for this, you know, love and passion. And Philippe, I say with all due respect, you have the passion of a clown. <laughs> oh, clowns are passionate. 
Okay. And the mind of a child. Guys, this was not in Andy's <laughs> notes. I have no idea where this is going. In the mind of a child, huh? <laughs> I mean, that's a good thing, I guess. Sure. Sure. I'm well, young. It all you know, depends. I'm creative. You know, it, it all depends how you take it, doesn't Wanna it? Want to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was written t- tongue in cheek so that it would have a double meaning. Now, you've got to figure out exactly what I meant. Oh, boy. <laughs> English is not the first language, so it'll be hard. Seriously, though, um, you know, and I want to point out that you, Philippe, um, are the embodiment of the Brazilian soccer culture in the fun, mischievous, high-risk embracing and passionate way in which you play, you coach, and also the way in which you live your life. And, you know, you might not be able to tell, but I've actually turned serious about this. So, so um, you know, and, and uh, you know, I... I love people that, that you know, have been changed by passion because, you know, they have the light in their eyes, they have the fire in their soul. And both of you have that, you know, and, you know, and, and so it's exciting to work with you on this podcast because of the passion that, that, you know, I feel we share. You might not have the same opinion of me, but... <laughs> <laughs> so let me stop you right there. If, if Andy were to then announce that he's got terminal cancer and he's dying yeah, next that week, so that's how I think he would lead into it. So Andy, do you have any information to share with the audience? Um, I'll tell you afterwards how, okay. <laughs> how close to the mark your last comment was, but not with regard to me. Um, uh, so, you know, in addition to that, I'm, I'm going to you know, say that both of you uh, and I, it's a big compliment, um, make me feel more fully alive, if that makes sense. Um, you know, you're big characters, um, but each of you are very different people. And uh, I've come to realize that, that the common thread is that uh, you have passion, or to put it in more controversial terms, you have love. You know, there's a lot of meanings for the word love. Um, you know, and... And, and I relate it back to the, uh, I think we've used this on the podcast before, but you know, probably people don't remember. When Winston Churchill said, I feel truly sorry for the poor Browns, he was describing the multitude of people who never get to appreciate beautiful music, have snowball fights at midnight, read amazing books uh, that feed the soul, or experience the extreme pain and amazing joy of raising five unique, creative, stubborn, challenging children from birth to maturity, like I have. You know, and, and soccer, played the way we teach it, is the epitome of passion, energy, creativity, fun, extrovertedness, artistry, daring, daring do, leadership, and bravery. Well begun, it's half done. You know, and we begin and we continue well and we try and make the biggest plays. Although we might disagree about what the biggest plays are, that's what we instill in the players that play for us. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> Very good. And, 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 and you're, though we might disagree uh, on the biggest play, although I think we, we've just reversed the order of 1 and 1A probably in that opinion, um, I think it's the, that, that willingness that culture that we create, that environment that we create for our players and our fellow coaches who we compete against within the club to take the shackles off, right? Like I think in our text exchange arguing about shooting off the kickoff, I think you even mentioned, you know, taking the shackles off the kids' legs and allowing them to go for it. And um, I think that's at the core of what what in an, a creative environment should be, one without limits, one without largely structure it's 
Um, going back to last podcast when you shared about Messi and one of the quotes on that he said was that he still feels like a child playing on the streets when he's playing for Argentina, Barcelona, PSU, whatever. And I think that's the thing that a lot of times in the youth game and even in the professional game, the whole goal of the sport is to entertain. It's to entertain the audience, the people in the stadium, you know, entertain the players because they're there to do what they love uh, because there's no soccer player, uh, even though a lot of them come from really humble beginnings and use soccer as their only vehicle to escape poverty, they all love soccer. There's not a single player that played and say, hey, I hate soccer. I just do it for the money. You cannot get to that, that level of, of soccer if you don't love it because the amount of dedication that it takes, it's the amount of abuse you take and the amount of you know, effort and pain you got to go through, it's insane. It's unheard of. It might be one of the toughest pr uh, careers in the world. So it, it's for the love. It's for entertaining. And it's for the passion. And when we're coaching kids, we also got to remind ourselves and them and the parents about that. They're there to have fun. If they're at a practice and they're not enjoying, they're not having fun. If they're at a game and they're not enjoying, they're not having fun. What's the point on playing? Sure. That's, you know, but let's be honest, guys. It, a lot of people don't see the game that way. You know, and, you know, you're Brazilian. So, you know, that's, it's in your genes almost that you see the game that way. The, the problem is that, that it's, it's not regarded as mainly to entertain the game in where I grew up. You know, the goal was mainly to win by, by any methodology possible, whether that was being dirty and fouling the opponent and going route one, you know. And, the, you know, we all knew that that wasn't entertaining. You know, it was yeah. ugly. Yeah. You know. It, 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 I mean, it's your culture in some ways found it entertaining to watch you take somebody out at the knee. But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but actually, actually MMA, MMA, MMA with a soccer ball. We, we give we give we, we applaud Brazil culture often on this pod. Like all three of us very much appreciate that that culture from a soccer perspective or from a from a life perspective. We spend a lot of time criticizing English culture on this pod. But but I actually want to draw a comparison between the three as we talk about playing for the love of the game. Um, because I think, I mean, Brazil, I think, is head and shoulders ahead of England from that perspective. But in those young age groups, in those five, six, seven, eights, nines, in England, those kids, are, I think, looking from afar through American, through my American bias, those kids, like, they play pickup in the streets. They, they play footy. At, in England? Yeah. No, they don't. I mean, not like they used to, but just to hear me out. Let me let me go through this, right? And 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 they they play in a in a in a way that 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 is different than us here in the United States. And I mean that from a perspective. Our game for kids is so professional in nature um, across the board at all age groups that the ability to just play for fun, I think, is actually lower in the United States and by a significant margin. In those in those in the grassroots level than it is probably in England, which is miles behind where it is in Brazil. I mean, I was at um, my son's cross country meet the other day, and there was a I don't know seven or eight year old kid in a full kit on a Tuesday night or no Monday night, 
um, watching his older uh, sibling compete in the cross country meet, but it was a full kit before he was headed to his practice. That full kit was not a sporting KC kit. It was not a Brazil kit. It was not a Manchester United kit. It was of his club. He had a full practice kit to go, the seven or eight year old, to go to his team's practice. Because what we, as a soccer culture in the United States, um, applaud, what we appreciate, what we put value on is the professional nature of the club structure. And so if the kids are wearing these full kits as they, at seven or eight when they show up to a practice session, that, that, that session, everything that, that we, we, the three of us, would want to communicate to the kids is like, we're here to play and have fun without structure. It's the complete opposite and that concerns me long term for the growth of this game is that we've spent too much time trying to look like the professional clubs in Europe at the younger age groups or even the older age groups and not enough time trying to create an environment built around fun and 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 without limits without structure it's for me it's mind-blowing the things that I see here because I didn't put soccer cleats on like actual cleats I had futsal shoes or little indoor shoes with the little spikes, but actual cleats, I was 15 first time I put one on my feet. The first time I put shin guards, I was probably 15 as well. Like, even having futsal shoes and, and indoor shoes, I like to play barefoot. I would take the shoes off to play. And it's just like, it, it's mind-blowing the level of professionalism that exists here. And I, I had a funny story the other day. One of my friends that lives in Florida used to coach. Uh, he actually used to coach for our club, saying that his daughter is now playing for this French coach. And he they had a game like on a Sunday afternoon. And the coach was ma- it was like a, a game like an hour and a half away. The coach was making them go Friday to a hotel because Saturday they had to do activation in the pool. And How old was she? Oh, she's 11. Oh, gosh. They, they got to do activation in the pool and recovery session and film session uh, on Saturday the whole day. So then they can play Sunday night. It's a business like, trip. My 11-year-old doesn't need to go on business trips. Literally, literally. He turned to the coach and said, "Are you gonna? my wife gets paid hourly. Are you going to pay her hourly for Friday because she has to leave Friday morning and not go to work because of a Sunday afternoon game? You got to be kidding me. Like, they just need to show up and play. Yes, they join an academy at 12, 13, you know. They will have all that taken care of for the club and whatever. That, at that time, it becomes a job. We can argue if it's early enough or not um, for, for those kids. I think most cases it is. But we don't need that to do, to do that across the board. The kids need to have fun. They need to play. They need to enjoy the game. They need to not have that pressure. You put all that to the kid, the kid is going to be thinking about the soccer game f- since Wednesday. I mean, think that about, adds the pressure. Think about what we're doing. Actually, my wife and I had the conversation somewhat recently on this front. Like what we're doing to our kids, our kids culturally, society wise, is that, you know, our kids get up at seven and they go to school and they spend seven hours in school and then they come home. And so often, especially in young age groups, they still have homework. They've got homework they got to go through. Mm-hmm. And then and then they've got two or three or four soccer practices a week that are work like the, it's an assignment. You go to it and you do 
what you're told to do in a structured And then you manner. have the games on the weekend. And then you have the games on the weekend. Like, when do kids get to play and be kids? Andy, you're writing over there. I see that. My turn? Yeah. We've been, we've been waiting for it. So this is everything that great educators point out is wrong with our modern-day society. These teams that have the kids turn up in uniforms... It's to practice, a, to practice. Yes, uh, in, to practice, yeah. Is, it's a, a, a conformity, regi- regimentation approach. It's an image approach, you know, to life where we're all the same color, you know, and unfortunately that color is beige. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not bright neon, you know, because, you know, you don't ask people to conform even if the practice uniform is bright neon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you know, you're asking your kids to be different, to be special, to play their own music. And we're all different. So we've all, we all choose to listen to or play different music. And this comes at massive cost to creativity, to individualism. It's a photo op approach to the game of soccer, you know, to life. You know, it, you know, it, 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 it is passed off as oh, we're very organized. But very organized people, you know, tend to be very much the same or more the same than, than, you know, than people that really are playing their own music. And we are all fundamentally so incredibly different. You know, we choose to do so many different things. If we're allowed to make our own choices, you know, the things that float my boat don't float your boat, you know, and except obviously we love the game of soccer the way that we teach it, you know, but there's lots of other things that we do that, you know, that... You know, I wouldn't enjoy that you do, and obviously, I don't even understand what you say in Brazilian. I don't even understand what you say in Brazilian English. Brazilian doesn't exist; it's Portuguese. <laughs> Futebol de Salão. Yeah, you know. Good, Andrew. I know. You know, is it, uh, did you hear me say that I don't understand what you say in English? Um, so, <laughs> I feel like my accent is easier to understand than yours. So, where, where in this? Um, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Um, where? Where in? In this approach of, of getting everybody to wear uniforms for practice and playing, you know, very much the same, one and two touch passing, play the way you're facing, this regimentation approach, you know, where is there the opportunity to, um, to develop tremendous skill, to be unique, to be brave, to be a leader, to be creative? You know, it, there isn't. You know, it just, it's like playing soccer with handcuffs and leg irons. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, it's, it's incredibly controlling, but... We're creating robots. I, and I've got to get to this because this is really, I feel important to me to, to cover this. Our team that just won the national championship is coached by who? Matt Iverson. Matt Iverson. That's a good point. So we're talking about creativity. We're talking about, you know, the willingness to... Wait, are you bringing him up just because it's his kids that score directly off kickoff? Is this like intentionally to smear it in my face? Well, I'm bringing him up because, you know, obviously Matt encourages true. that, you true. know, and he's a good coach and you don't, and I won't fill in the blank, <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, let's, let's talk about Matt because, you know, th- you know, this is how Matt differs from you. Matt has a fascinating, creative passion for life. He's in love with art. He's an artist. He paints, he draws, you know, he, he, he'll do it in pencil, he'll do it in watercolors, he'll do it with, you know, real paint. You know, he is a brilliant man. He is a shining star among humans. I love being around him because his creative energy is infectious in a, an, an osmotic form of way. 
You know, he doesn't push it on you. It just seeps into your soul when you spend time with him, you know, because he's, he's so intelligent. He's so bright. He's so soulful. And I say osmotics because he's one of the most laid back coaches I've ever been around. His passion for creativity gradually seeps into the very marrow of his players' bones. Conversations with Matt are rarely mundane because he sees things so differently and passionately. But interacting with Matt is not comfortable. It's challenging because he sees people in the world so differently to the norm. What this means is when you are in Matt's company, you have to become more alive and more aware. Prominent features of his subjects, whether human or inanimate, become major focal points, but not in sharp relief. They are muted yet powerful in a way that makes each art project a fascinating study in which the key characteristics of each painting are deeply intriguing but hard to quantify. Is this making sense? That's how he teaches kids. Each of his players is maybe more different from the way that my players have ended up after I've coached them because of Matt's personality and the way he allows for a leeway of expression that maybe other coaches don't allow for. And he encourages kids to, to literally paint their own art, to play their own music, you know, with a ball at their feet. Is this making sense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so this is a tribute to Matt. And I think he deserves it. And heck, he just well, won a national championship going swimming upstream with a completely different approach. And the way he plays soccer also, um, he's retired now, but he did have uh, a career with the Comets. And, I mean, he's one of the most skillful players I've, I've seen, especially. I remember the first time I, I only played pickup with him, but I saw him dribbling and doing crazy things with the ball. And he's not just like traditional skillful like super objective but he does crazy things with the ball and it, it, i mean it's entertaining to watch especially in a pickup game and i'm like how can an american player does those do those things like i, I could never imagine that I've i've never seen it i'd be curious to ask matt that question because i mean i think matt's a year older than me and i really never really knew him as as a youth player i only knew him once we all came back from college in 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 the in just in the men's the men's games because matt was so skillful and so great i'm wondering if and matt i don't know if you listen but i next time we run into each other i'm gonna ask you this question is did you become a super skillful creative thought player as an adult because you loved it and wanted to or was that part of your youth and my guess is it wasn't part of his youth I've i mean heard, more so than so most so what i've heard was that you know and correct me if i'm wrong Matt, one day but what i've heard is like he was never like anything super special as a youth player but he just loved it so much he started going to all american and hanging out there and every game he would get there like 4 p.m. and every game that would start, he was, oh, do you guys need an extra player? Do you guys need an extra player? And he would just stay there until like 11 p.m. midnight and just trying to get games in and just learn the game, learn the game, learn the game and playing creative, you know. And then obviously that was the repetition and he did that so long, so much. And that's how he became really, really, really great. And, you know, he played college soccer. Uh, he actually won a national championship uh, with Graceland in NIA and was a great college player. But, you know, he didn't go to a big D1 school. Um, you know, he played the junior college. Then he played at Graceland, if I'm not mistaken. 
and you know ended up playing with the Comets. He had a they had a really good semi pro team before that uh, that he played on, and I mean he, the guy just loved the game and kept playing, kept playing, kept playing, kept playing, and again had that creativity uh, inside of him and didn't just do the basic and probably as a youth player didn't have as much success because he would try those things and maybe wasn't that good at those things yet and as they he got became an adult and did all those things and again what what was he doing he loved the game he wanted to play and he's he did what the kids nowadays don't do can you imagine a kid going and trying to find pick up games and just hanging out at you know soccer nation or where it's rare you'll see some of the hispanic boys doing but it's it it it's rare and even those kids are are it's less than they used to be they gotta save it's their legs for their uniform <laughs> professional soccer practice it's rare because the management doesn't want people hanging up and uh, hanging around and picking up games for free you know <laughs> it's a business correct so, you know i used to be on that side of the coin mm. and my boss used to make me hunt down people that were freeloaded you know uh, and, and which i hated to do because you know i i you know i would have done the same thing you know <laughs> so, and, and i honestly and I get that, and that's why you know America is the biggest economy in the world. But I mean, you—the team already paid for for the the you know uh, registration. If they're throwing an extra guy there that they haven't paid, like I people invite me to pay to go play at All American, and like I don't have a card. I have to pay twenty five bucks to to get a card to go play at All American. I'm not gonna go and pay 25 bucks to play a pickup game. I'm sorry. I I just don't. I just don't think it's right. You know, I I don't. It's it's a pickup game. You know, if the registration for the team is paid for, somebody paid for it, and it, it's all good. And they want to invite me to play. I I should be able to just walk in and play. I'm not stealing. I'm not doing anything wrong. Sounds like a Brazilian, because here in, so, in America. So who pays for the millions of dollars that it costs to build the facility then? Well. <laughs> <laughs> they run the youth leagues. They run the adult leagues. You can charge the registration for the team by charging 25 per player extra because you have to have a card or whatever. Uh, I don't know. It's just they they, ne they never did that when I ran the place. You know, it was a late, it was a money grab that came later. You know, the registration card. You know, so. But uh, I, I've got something getting back to you know the the positive side of this. Um, you know, and and this is you know it's it's worth reading. It's a little long, but listen very carefully to this. What should a four-year-old know? I declare the reply below is filled with wisdom and truth. Written by a preschool teacher, it says it all. I was on a parenting bulletin board recently and read a post by a mother who was worried that her four-and-a-half-year-old did not know enough. What should a four-year-old know, she asked. Most of the answers left me not only saddened, but pretty soundly annoyed. One mum posted a laundry list of all of the things her son knew. Counting to a hundred, planets how to write his first and last name, and on and on. Others chimed in with how much more their children already knew, some who were only three. A few posted URLs to lists of what each age should know. The fewest yet said that each child develops at his own pace and not to worry. It bothered me greatly to see these mothers responding to a worried mum by adding to her concern with lists of all the things their children could do that hers couldn't. We are such a competitive culture that even our preschoolers have become trophies and bragging rights. Childhood shouldn't be a race. So here I offer my list of what a four-year-old should know. She should know that she is loved wholly and unconditionally all the time. He should know that he is safe, and he should know how to keep himself safe in public with others and in varied situations. 
he should know that he can trust his instincts about people and that he never has to do something that doesn't feel right, no matter who is asking. He should know his personal rights and that his family will back them up. She should know how to laugh, act silly, be goofy, and use her imagination. She should know that it's okay to paint the sky orange and give cats six legs. I'm not sure how the cats would feel about that. He should know his own interests and be encouraged to follow them. If he could care less about learning his numbers, his parents should realize he'll learn them accidentally soon enough and let him immerse himself instead in rocket ships, drawing, dinosaurs, or playing in the mud. Sounds like me as a kid. She should know that the world is magical and that so is she. She should know that she's wonderful, brilliant, creative, compassionate, and marvelous. She should know that it's just as worthy to spend the day outside making daisy chains, mud pies, and fairy houses as it is to practice phonics. Scratch that. Way more worthy. But important, here's what parents should know. That every child learns to walk, talk, read, and do algebra at his own pace. And that it will have no bearing on how well he walks, talks, reads, or does algebra. That's the singest, biggest predictor of high academic achievement and high ACT scores. That, the single, single biggest, biggest predictor, is reading to children. Reading to children. Not flashcards, not workbooks, not fancy preschools, not blinking toys or computers, but mum or dad taking the time every night or both to sit and read them wonderful books, which I did every night to all five of my kids. That being the smartest or most accomplished kid in class has never had any bearing on being the happiest. We are so caught up in trying to give our children advantages that we're giving them lives as multitasked and stressful as ours. One of the biggest advantages we can give our children is a simple, carefree, creative childhood. That our children deserve to be surrounded by books, physical activity, nature, art supplies, and the freedom to explore them. Most of us could get rid of 90% of our children's toys and they wouldn't be missed. But some things are important. Building toys like Lego and blocks. Creative toys like all types of art materials. Good stuff. Musical instruments, real ones and multicultural ones. Balls, dress-up clothes and books. 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 Incidentally, much of this can be picked up quite cheaply at thrift shops. They need to have the freedom to explore with these things too, to play with scoops of dried beans in the high chair, supervised of course, to knead bread and make messes, to use paint and Play-Doh and glitter at the kitchen table while we make supper even though it gets everywhere, to have a spot in the yard or a house where it's absolutely fine to run, play with a ball, dig up all the grass and make a mud pit, that our children need more of us. We've become so good at saying that we need to take care of ourselves that some of us have used it as an excuse to have the rest of the world take care of our kids. Yes, we all need undisturbed baths, time with friends, sanity breaks and an occasional life outside of parenthood. But we live in a time when parenting magazines recommend trying to commit to 10 minutes a day with each child and scheduling one Saturday a month as family day. That's not okay. Our children don't need iPhones, computers, and TV nearly as much as they need us. They need mothers and fathers who will play ball with them, sit and listen to their days, join in and make crafts with them, parents who will take the time to read them stories and act like idiots with them. They need us to take walks with them and not mind the one-mile-per-hour pace of a toddler on a spring night. 
They deserve to help us make supper, even though it takes twice as long and makes twice as much mess. They deserve to know that they're a priority for us and that we truly love to be with them. They need coaches who can help them create moments of beauty and magnificence, who bring a light to their eyes, a fire to their soul, and a passion to their games. Shoot me if I ever use the word simple when I'm coaching. Passion and simple are not related. Bringing up your child in this way is the difference between reading a textbook about accounting or the Lord of the Rings. Give me the latter, a book with orcs to show me ugliness to avoid, dwarves to build my patience, hobbits to love despite all their idiosyncrasies, and the occasional wizard to make me realize my potential. Give me evil and good, creativity and drudgery, highs and lows, blacks, whites, pinks, and neons. Encourage me to find my passions, my loves, the foods that feed my soul. I will still eat, I will still survive, but if you allow me to feed my soul, I will thrive, I will prosper, I will make beautiful music, I will take time to look at the thousands of stars in the heavens and live a life that understands how fleeting my time on earth is, how important it is to use every moment for good and leave powerful and positive energy behind me when I move on to whatever comes next. Wow. I'm actually rewatching all the Lord of the Rings movies, by the way. Are this you really? week. Yeah. <laughs> I read I Lord of the Rings 23 times. Cover to cover when I was a kid. Okay. That's you, a lot. If you had In spent that time playing soccer, maybe you, you would have done something <laughs> better. <laughs> you know, but like, why, why was that something that soccer coaches needed to hear? Why is the offshoot of this conversation that we've done for the last 20 minutes, something that the, 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 the audience needs to hear. And it's because our, our society has structured so much of everything for our kids that our kids spend most of every day working. Right? It's boring. And, and, Their and, childhood and, is but boring. But even if the kids tell you it's fun to go to the basketball practice and fun to go to the soccer practice, when they go to the basketball practice and when they go to the soccer practice, is it defined as work? Because it looks like it to me in a lot of cases. And if that's the case, if you're a soccer coach, if you're a soccer parent, what can you do to make your environment less like work and 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 that's at the crux of the message that i think we the three of us on this podcast in this episode are trying to share i mean i'll i'll tell you guys this i look back at my childhood and i wish it was there because i mean i love working with soccer don't get me wrong andy but like it was way more fun when i was a kid just running around and playing soccer right like life is hard we gotta work we gotta pay bills and stuff and once you hit, I don't know, 18, 20, whatever, it's there for your whole life, you know? And let the kids, until they get to that point, enjoy fully their childhood and have fun and just enjoy and be able to, as I do, look back. I'm like, my God, I had a blast. It was, it was great, you know? Have the memories. The memories are everything in life. It's, it's what makes everything worth it. Uh, I mean... You hear Andy, uh, he's 85 years old, telling all the stories that from his childhood and from his Hold life. On a and second. It's, I, I'm sure he has a blast. <laughs> That's why he's having the podcast, so he can share all that, right? <laughs> oh, you're not I 85? I'm sorry. I'm closer to 58. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like wine. <laughs> Sour. Wine. Sour. <laughs> 
uh, well, as we creep up on our sixty minutes, Andy, and we and we start to wrap up this Are episode, you serious? I'm a whole book still here. I know you do. <laughs> Part three, let's go. <laughs> Uh, and you're just annoyed that I took us off off kilter to start the episode off to to air my beef publicly for you criticizing my tweets. Well, one of the things that that came out of you know all my preparation, you know, and I've got a whole bunch more in my folder there, <laughs> um, <laughs> was was that passion is the topic of what we're dealing with here, right? Yeah. You know, passion and love. Um, but all of the the really respectable writers, uh, you know, about this, you know, like um, you know, I've got. Stuff here from Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Daniel Coyle, uh, Angela Duckworth, you know, famous authors that have written just massive bestsellers. Um, you know, one of the things that comes through this is that um, it, it's fun is great, but you have to build um, grit if you want to be really good at anything. So what, what you do is you, you put fun alongside work in the same environment. Enough fun to keep the kids involved enough work to really stretch them, to make them grow, you know, to make sure that they pick up the skills, but they also improve their physiology, you know, agility, balance, coordination, yeah. you know, all of the things. And it, it's, it's as you build a combination of grit and skills, uh, and, you know, proficiency in your sport, um, as you get older, you become more of a comparative animal. You know, we all do this. And when we look at the people alongside us, we realize because we've spent a lot of time building that, you know, that skill, you know, and developing that grit, we realize then that we're pretty good at something, mm -hmm. you know, and then it becomes even more fun because, you know, we're not just going through the motions because we like to run around out there. You know, we've actually got a special talent and, you know, and each environment that we develop a special talent in does not exist in isolation from the other environments in life. So your self-concept for being special at something carries over into other environments, whether that is violin playing you know whether that is you know the 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 art of dramas you know being a thespian you know these things carry over into other environments they make you more capable of being successful in other environments because once you've conquered one environment your self-belief grows and correspondingly you feel that you can conquer other environments you know and so this is a very serious thing Play is at the root. We've got happy feet. You know, it's story time with a soccer ball. Mm -hmm. The key is play, but that's three, four, and five-year-olds. When they go into our Legends and our Legends Maestro program, you know, then we have, a, you know, a different approach. It gets more serious. We still have fun. We still have play when they're six, seven, eight, nine. Gradually, they take more pleasure in meaningful play. They take more pleasure in one-on-ones, you know, where they use fakes and moves, where they're taking shots. I should say taking shots first. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but, but, you know, it becomes more serious, you know. And so, you know, um, the old saying, Maria Montessori, you know, uh, you, know, w you know, play is a child's work, you know, but work is an adult's work, you know. And, but it's got to have play elements. You, know, why don't you want to enjoy your work, you know, but it has to have serious elements, and you have to be really going for goals and aiming for something that's important as your youngster matures into a teenager and eventually, you know, into high school and then on to college. You know, it's it's that serious play aspect that is going to make their life fun because it's not only enjoyable, it's also meaningful. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have studied and, you know, and, and really built into our philosophy, you know, our environment, our culture, 
uh, everything about what we do, our, our emphasis on brave creative leadership for life has been built around the evolving principle from fun into, you know, work and meaningful pursuits mm-hmm. that gives you fun and gives you reward, enjoyment and a feeling of self-satisfaction that your life is worthwhile and meaningful that can make you happier in all the other environments you're operating, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. It sure does. Yeah. So, well, um, I, I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Uh, I certainly had a good time uh, in this one, in this conversation. Um, maybe one time we'll bring up the next big bone between Andy and I and make a whole episode about it. But until then, um, think about how you can make your sessions more creative um, uh, with opportunities for less structure. And as a result, you'll develop um kids that are more passionate and pursue more uh, have much more fun and um our society will probably be better off for it and and you know the key word is here your kids will love what they do and they will love life you know because everything is positive and meaningful you know that they're doing not everything life's not you know there's going to be you know trials and tribulations but a huge chunk of their life is is positive meaningful you know and you know goal-oriented you know and you know in so many ways optimizing and we all need to feel that in you know we're being optimized in life right well good stuff till next time thanks so much thanks guys thank you